CEO World magazine, which absolutely sounds like it was something that's been made up on the internet, ran an online article back in March this year titled Top 10 Useless Products Ever. Now, if you want to hear all 10 of them, you'll have to Google the article yourself, Top 10 Useless Products Ever. But here's just a few examples of some of the most useless products ever. Sick and tired of hearing his wife complain every time it rained that her feet got wet and muddy, Bobby Cole invented the shoe umbrella, which sounds kind of useful, I guess, until you realise how difficult it is to walk around with tiny umbrellas on your feet. Richard Hartman decided to manufacture an ice cream cone that mechanically turns around for you so that you don't have to rotate the ice cream yourself. All you have to do is concentrate on doing the licking. The motorised cone can hold multiple scoops of ice cream and a crunchy, a crunchy biscuit cone and still turn around easily enough. It's hard enough to find the remote control, especially when all of your appliances have one. But don't worry, friends. Now with the remote control headband, you know exactly where your remotes are. They're stuck to your head. Sticking multiple devices with batteries in, next to your brain, what could possibly go wrong? We all know of people that have cats and dogs. One of the great things about owning them is being able to go for a walk with your pet dog. But, if you, but what if you only have a goldfish? Well, thankfully, Mick Madden has invented the goldfish walker. Mick constructed a goldfish walker to take his two goldfish for him with a walk every day. But some of these products are not only useless, they're, they're bordering on being dodgy scams, like the IM Rich app from, for iPhones. The app was developed by Armin Henrich. Sounds dodgy, doesn't it? When you turn on the phone, your iPhone, a red stone emerges with this mantra, I am rich, I deserve it, I am good, healthy and successful. But the price of the app was $1,000. <laughs> Sounds like somebody else is getting rich. And it was quickly withdrawn by Apple with no explanation. Useless, bordering on dodgy scams. James says it this way. Useless, worthless, hypocritical, foolish and dead. Those who say they have faith in Jesus but don't live out the life of Christ, that's just useless. See it there, James chapter 2, verse 17. Faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. In his very direct, matter-of-fact, straight-to-the-point, not pulling any punches, not taking any prisoners with no airs or graces, James is saying faith requires action. You see, this whole following Jesus thing, this thing that we're doing here together on, uh, during the week and on Sundays as a church family, isn't just some nice ideas about heaven, friends. This isn't just a holistic or interesting way to see the world. Faith needs to be lived out. It's lifelong. Discipleship never stops. Life in Christ involves living out the life of Christ, and that's what James's letter is really all about. From the very beginning of his letter, addressed to Christians now living in exile, people living out their faith, others who are living out the consequences of following Jesus, James has been making this point. Faith involves living out the life of Christ. Faith and works must come together. Lifelong discipleship. It's all of life. Faith involves staying the course. Faith requires steadfast perseverance. Faithfulness is measured over time. God does some of his deepest work within us during our most difficult and painful moments. But we've got to stick at it, says James. We've got to stick with it. 
We need to live out the life of faith. We can't just be hearers of the word. We need to do what it says. We don't just look in the mirror and forget everything that you saw. Put it into action. And last week, if you were with us, we looked at partiality, favouritism. James says, don't show favouritism. Because that's how the world operates. But the church needs to live differently. We can't just be people who accept God's mercy for us and then live in judgment on everybody else. Hearing without doing, not sticking it out, not living it out. James clearly says, well, what's the point of that? What good does that do anyone? See it with me, won't you? Chapter 2, verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says that he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? It's a great question, isn't it? What good is faith without works? Here's another great question from James. Can faith without works save? Now, I know what year it is. We're 506 years past the Great Reformation of 1517. I know what many of it is, what many of it is, I know what many of you believe, I know what it is that many of you have been taught. I believe it too. I also teach it. Salt Church is a reformed Protestant evangelical church. We believe in the authority of the scriptures, the Bible. And one of the big ticket items of the Reformation, one of the sticking points that the church had with the Catholic Church, in fact, it was such a big sticking point that Martin Luther nailed the issue by nailing his protest to the Wittenberg Church church door. And the issue is this, salvation by works. Or to put it another way, works righteousness. In 1517, the Catholic Church was teaching the only way into heaven, the only way to be right with God was by doing good works. Good works is what save you, they taught. Good works is essential for your salvation. But the church itself had become corrupt. The leaders had become immoral. The institution itself was broken. The Great Reformation then was God doing something new with his church, calling his people back to faith in him. God reforming, reforming his church. Salvation by works alone is not what the Bible teaches. It's not what we believe here either. Salvation is not about what you do. Your good works can't save you. Salvation, being right with God, is only through what Jesus has done for us. He died for our sins on the cross. He rose again to give us new and everlasting life. These were the catch cries of the Reformation. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, through the Bible alone, to the glory of God alone. Being right with God is not by our works, but only by the finished work of Christ for us. Paul, the apostle, couldn't be any more clearer about it. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 words here behind me for by grace you've been saved through faith and this is not your own doing it is the gift of God not a result of works so that no one may boast see it there by grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone salvation is a gift from God not a result of works so when Martin Luther read James chapter 2 verses 14 to 26 he wanted to tear it out of the Bible. 
But James says faith without works is dead. In fact, such a faith is no good but useless. Those rhetorical questions, can you see them there, that James is asking in verse 14, are both expecting no to be their answer. Faith without works is no good. Faith without works can't save you. Now, it appears that to some, even still today, that James is contradicting Paul here. But before you and I take our scissors to the Bible, let's have a closer look at what James is actually saying. He starts by giving us an example there in verse 15. Can you see it with me? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? What good is that, asked James? Well, it's no good at all now, is it? Someone stands before you in desperate need, but it's not just anyone. It's a brother or sister standing before you, a brother or sister in Christ, another member of God's family, and they're obviously in need, and they've come to you for help. Imagine with me just for a moment saying to them, well, good luck with all of that then. That's faith without works. That's what James is talking about here. It's not backing up what you believe. It's not living out the life of Christ. It's not that it's not good enough. It's that it's no good at all. Just as a quick aside, how are you going at living out your faith? A faith that gives because you've received. A faith that moves from head to hearts and hands as well. I mean, it's not every day that someone at Salt Church says to us, hey, I'm really struggling to pay the bills and I can't afford to buy basic groceries. But when that has happened, what's been our response? What good has our faith been then? But let's go even deeper still. What about when the church asks you for money to help out with our expenses and to support the ministry that we're doing here? What's your response then? Well, good luck with that. What about missionaries asking for prayer or student ministry workers raising their supporter base? Go in peace, be well fed, be warmed. In our desperate need and hopeless situation, dead in our own trespasses and sins, Jesus gave himself for us. See it there, Ephesians 2 verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. A faith that doesn't do for others who are in need, it's really kind of useless, isn't it? It's a dead faith, it's not a living one, not a living out one. It's really no good at all. (laughs) It's like looking in the mirror and then not mirroring the reflection. It's like hearing the word but not doing what it says. Faith isn't simply just some nice ideas to be thought or just some ideals to be held on to. Faith is a life that is to be lived. Our life and faith need to be integrated, brought together. The body of Christ needs to embody Christ. Faith requires living out the life of Christ. Faith requires staying the course. And that's James's point. See it there, verse 17. So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. It's not that our works save us. 
It's that our faith needs to transform us. Faith is lived out at street level. It's applied to the everyday in the day-to-day. James isn't proclaiming another gospel, friends. He isn't promoting salvation by works. You can put your scissors away now. James belongs in the Bible here for a reason. And even James expected that people would misunderstand what he was saying. He even thought that others would misinterpret what he was trying to articulate. So he answers a few possible objections there. Look at verse 18. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Writing in the first century, James is now answering 21st century objections, isn't he? Who'd have thought that the Bible was still relevant today? Who'd have believed that the Bible still speaks to us? And we hear this kind of thinking all the time, don't we? I even heard it at the gym on Wednesday. Brendo is a guy that I've been getting to know lately and his wife is due to have a baby very soon. Last week I slipped into conversation with him. I'm praying for you, Brendo. Then on Wednesday he asked me just two questions. Two questions. Mike, you're the pastor of a church, right? Which church was that again? Yes, and Presbyterian were my answer. But I didn't get to say anything more than that. Brendo had a few things he wanted to say to me. Don't get me wrong, Mike, he said. Don't you just love it when a conversation starts with, don't get me wrong. I think church is great for its community aspect. I think it's a great way to see and understand and make sense of the world. Lots of charities have faith-based organisations. So despite the bad headlines, they do a great work. But church isn't for me, Mike. I believe there's a God, he said. And it's good that people have faith in something, but I get what I need from somewhere else. Can you hear what Brendo's saying? Mike, you've got your thing that works for you. I've got my thing that works for me. But it's not just Brendo, is it? Christian denominations have divided themselves over this one. Christians have a tendency towards division. It's either all about charity work or maintaining institutions of theological conservatism. I have faith, I have works. But you can't see faith apart from works, can you? Works are the evidence that we have faith. By their fruit you will know them, said Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. We can even see this played out in weekly church attendance figures as well. 43.9% of Australians say that they are Christians, 43.9%. 23% of Australians go to church regularly. And regularly isn't even defined as every week. Regularly is defined as coming to church once a month. It's not enough to say that I believe in God. It's not enough just to say I believe. Even the opposition does that. James says even the demons have orthodox theology. Having faith isn't enough. It must be lived out. But if you're still not convinced of James' argument, if you still think that you can have one and not both together, well, James is starting to wonder if you're a little bit stupid. See it with me there, verse 20. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? We think calling someone a fool is offensive, and usually, in most cases, like this one, 
it probably is. But James is writing in the style here of wisdom literature. So you're either a fool or you're a wise person. A fool is someone who doesn't believe in God. A fool remains a sinner and a rebel against God. And so then to add injury to his insult, James now makes a play on the words here in work, on work. Literally, James is asking there in verse 20, do I have to show you faith apart from works doesn't work? So he provides us with two Old Testament examples. And James starts with Abraham there in verse 21. Would you see it with me? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works and the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness and he was called a friend of God. Abraham is the patriarch of our faith and when you start with a guy referred to as our father there in verse 21 and a friend of God in verse 23 you know that this isn't some minor point that James is making here. This isn't just some obscure example. God promised Abraham many descendants. Abraham was to be the father of many nations. But, God, but Abraham was old and Sarah was infertile. They were as good as dead, says the book of Genesis. Having one child would take a miracle for this couple, fathering nations, humanly impossible. Despite all of this, Abraham believed God's promises to him and God counted it to him as righteousness. Not without a few misconceptions, Sarah eventually gave birth to Isaac. But in Genesis 22, God tells Abraham to take Isaac, his son, his only son, and to offer him as a sacrifice on the altar. Despite all of God's promises to Abraham and all of the difficulties they had in actually having a son, Abraham does what God asks him to do. He climbs the mountain to offer Isaac. Now, if you're not familiar with this story, Isaac doesn't die. God provides a sacrificial animal instead. But because he was willing to do what God said, said to him, Abraham's faith is seen by Abraham's actions. James makes the point there, verse 24. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Real faith, friends, is to be lived out. We do the thing that we believe in. But it's not just patriarchs, it's prostitutes too. Verse 25. And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messages and sent them out by another way. Just before the city of Jericho gets levelled, we meet Rahab in the book of Joshua. It's not just a scarlet cord that is associated with Rahab. She had a red light hanging out the front of her place. A prostitute and a patriarch. God's chosen man and a Gentile woman. Not a lot in common here, is there? But James's point is about faith that works. When Rahab heard of God's plans for Jericho's demolition, Rahab wanted in with the God of Israel. Rahab sided with Israel's spies. She was saved while her city perished. If Rahab didn't live out her faith, she was as good as dead. Verse 26, so also faith without works 
is dead. So I want to make this really simple for us this morning, friends. What's it going to be? I want you to take a moment and consider your life. Where are you talking the talk but not walking the walk? Where are you living out the faith you say you believe? Where are the inconsistencies? And what actions are you going to take in order to move forward? Let me ask you the questions again. Where are you talking the talk but not walking the walk? Where are you living out the faith you say you believe? Where are the inconsistencies? And what action could you take in order to move forward. I'm going to pray, and then in a couple of minutes, we're going to sing. Our Father, it's so easy for us to sit here week on week and sing songs and declare our praise to you and to say that we follow Jesus, but then to live as if None of those things are true. We want to acknowledge that all of us fall short here, that we all are hypocrites in certain ways, that we don't live the faith that we say that we believe. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that your death on the cross and your resurrection guarantee not only our forgiveness but the promise of new life. And so we don't need to despair that we get this wrong, but that we can be moved by you and your spirit to change and that you are the God who brings about change, that your spirit transforms us into your likeness. Thank you for your patience with us, our Father. Would you help us to be patient with ourselves and with each other as we seek to live consistently the faith that we say that we believe? Father, bring to mind for us the inconsistencies and the hypocrisies, things that others can see so well in us that we don't see within ourselves, so that all glory and praise might be yours. Help us, Lord Jesus, to live what we say we believe here at Salt Church, that we might be your people and that we might see others come to faith in Jesus too. For we ask it all for Jesus' sake. Amen.